I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. As ever, your host, Matt Dixon. And a special episode this week, guys. We are not tackling a subject with me, myself and I. We're bringing in two Purple Patch pros, Chelsea Sidaro, Sarah Piampiano. You might have heard of both, but we're not talking about accolades and excellence. Today, we're talking about empowerment of the collective, helping each other thrive and find best performance in what is stereotypically a dog-eat-dog world. But as you're going to find out in this conversation, with a little bit of collaboration, support, love, and accountability, people can find greater performance. I'll let the conversation stand on its own legs. I won't rustle this up or get in the way with word of the week or anything else. All I'll do to start this conversation off is say thank you to Chelsea and Sarah for being a part of Purple Patch, and let's get on with the meat and potatoes. All right, guys, the meat and potatoes. And after a daily dose of frustration and disappointment, despair, we now go into a podcast in which I enter with angst, fear, and worry and concern. Because today on the show, two Purple Patch professional athletes I'd like to welcome Sarah Piampiano and Chelsea Sidoro. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Matt. We are talking the collective, but to ground the listeners in case, just in case they don't know you guys, I want to talk about your careers a little bit because you guys have been successful. Uh, Sarah, predominantly in triathlon, Chelsea in running, and now very fresh to triathlon. And I think it's going to be grounding because we are not here to go back individually and talk about your success as much as we are to talk about the collective and so to make it a little humbling for you, let's go through the, uh, the bios a little bit. Sarah Piampiano, four Ironman wins, seven podiums in Ironman distance racing, seven Ironman 70.3 wins. I, I cannot believe that you have won seven <laughs> 70.3s. I know. It's kind so of crazy. Definitely, guys, definitely the days that the races that not many people <laughs> yeah. showed up to, I think. But uh, you've also accumulated 15 podiums at the Ironman 70.3 distance, twice been in the top 10 at the Hawaii Ironman. And just this year, eight hours and 40 minutes for the Ironman distance, the eighth fastest female time ever. Uh, Chelsea. You come back, come from a running background, four-time NC2A All-American, two-time US national champion. And in your triathlon, as you dipped your toes in, you had the initial two years in ITU, which for you guys that are not used to the triathlon speak, that's the shorter distance racing globally. In 2018, you're a World Cup winner and you were second at another World Cup. You joined Purple Patch just one year ago, basically. Goodness me, we're on a uh, on a lofty uh, trajectory here. So I want to that that's your overall bios. I want to talk about this year and your race results this year because this is really important context for what we're talking about today. Because this is the only year where you guys have been. Oh, I don't know what we're going to call it, an item. <laughs> it's, that's what it feels like to me sometimes, guys. But um, Sarah, this year, first at Ironman Brazil, that was that eight hours and 40 minutes, two, hour, two hours and 53 minutes in the run, overall course record, bike course record, run course record. I think they call that a good day. First at 70.3 Ecuador, second at 70.3 Monterey, Hamburg, Ironman Hamburg and just this last weekend, 70.3 Augusta and mixed in the middle, a little trip to Kazakhstan, uh, a third place at Kazakhstan. So it is a collection of podiums. You are now one week away from the Hawaii Ironman World mm -hmm. Championships. And, uh, and so it has been nearing the end of your career quite 
a year so far. And Chelsea, your first dipping of your toe into the 70.3 distance, you started with a third place at Ironman 70.3 Waco. You then went on a winning spree, first at Indian Wells, got hit with a bout of injury that we'll touch on today. First at 70.3 in your uh, Santa Rosa at your comeback race. And then your first experience at the 70.3 World Championships in Nice. You were fourth overall. And then just this weekend, nudging ahead of your compatriot here, (laughs) you managed to secure the win, relegating Sarah to only second. (laughs) Another disappointment for Sarah at the Augusta 70.3. So let's frame this discussion because we're not here to celebrate uh individual performance as much as we are i think something that's a that's a really meaningful source of learning for 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 everyone listening whether they're an athlete or not you've both individually had marvelous seasons but today is not about the internet individual it's the power of the collective and so before we talk about you and your guys relationship i want to sort of almost dispel some myths and i know that we all think that we can dispel these myths around elite women's sport and uh, over the course of my coaching career i've been very lucky that i've coached elite male athletes and probably an equal number if not more of uh, of elite female athletes and i'm well aware of all of the the stereotypes so i guess sarah let's start with you you've seen the the good the bad and the ugly of women's team dynamics what do you think of the are the stereotypes of elite female athletes working together in a team environment? Um, I would say just not productive at all. It tends to be tension-filled, too competitive in a negative way, um, a lot of kind of infighting, and just generally not a positive environment. What what do you think, Chelsea? Anything to add to that? Yeah, I think the common misconception, I think, is that women who are at an equally high level can't collaborate productively and can't be encouraging teammates. Yeah. It's uh, it, I think it's, I mean, I've, I've had coaches say to me, one of the biggest challenges is you are going to inevitably have infighting and women can't work with each other. That's uh, I think that's almost the, the common misconception. And, uh, you know, tension filled, etc. I, I, I'm guessing, uh, I, I know, but I'm guessing as well that both of you individually have, have had real situations that I guess do mimic this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, um, I had a teammate earlier in my triathlon career who I was, um, quite close with and we, I thought trained really well together and she was, um, coming in sort of a better athlete than where I was at. And there reached a point where I started surpassing her in terms of um, my performances. And very quickly, my relationship with her deteriorated. And it was it was pretty frustrating and a sad thing for me to see because I thought that we were just such great teammates together. But when it came to a competitive environment, it, it really went downhill when I started beating her. When the alpha relationship sort of changed, <laughs> yeah. at least in terms of performance. How about you, Chelsea? Yeah. Have, you, have you been in similar situations? Yeah, absolutely. I've had some incredibly positive um, female training partner relationships where um, certain women have been equally competitive as me and we continue to be like best of friends until this day. But I've also had experiences where the collective team was not something that was valued. And um, in those kind of environments, it became a very slippery slope when everyone was competing for the same Olympic spots and the same national team berths. And um, it got pretty tricky and tension-filled. And and I think ultimately was not a performance-enhancing experience for everyone. Yeah, well, that, that's that's it because some people might be listening right now and say, "Yeah, well, you're you're competing for a spot. You got to you got to fight. That's that's the world. It's a competitive world." Uh, what do you say to that? So far as uh, you know, infighting is a part of it. If you can't, the English saying or the overall saying, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen, type thing. Yeah, what I would say to that, and it may sound a little bit cliche, but I think that there's plenty of room for all of us at the top. I think that, you know, there are so many 
race opportunities, but, you know, I wouldn't be disappointed if I was second to Sarah at the Hawaii Ironman. I think that that would be a pretty special thing. And um, I think that the risk of making each other better is very low when we look at what we can achieve together. Sure. No, I think that's, and I think we're going to really dive in there. I guess uh, one of the things you said was uh, when you talked about the environment, you said it wasn't valued. Is Has that been of interest in your experiences? Was that both in terms of valued by the athletes or was it also valued by the overall performance culture, the coach or the leader, whoever it might have been? I think that when you're training in a squad environment, the leadership from the top is imperative. And if that coach or manager is not aligned and doesn't value teamwork and the collective of working together, then it's practically impossible to have a culture where competitors can thrive. It's going gonna, it's gonna to permeate all the way down. In fact, even if someone is collaborative or, or two people, are, it's probably going to be extinguished, yeah? Absolutely. I, I, I guess uh, it, not to stay on the negative for too long, but I think it's important because you've, you've both experienced it in different ways, in different, in different arenas. But uh, go, back and think about, go back and think about how it made you feel. And when you went through that, that sort of environment of infighting or, or the classic sort of stereotypes, what, what, what were the emotional responses to that on a day-to-day basis, on a global basis? I mean, I think that if you're in an environment where you're waking up every day and you're trying to become your, the best version of yourself, um, either from a personal standpoint or a performance standpoint, and you're in an environment where that's not supported or encouraged, it you don't feel good. You know, even when you have success, it's not something that you end up really being able to celebrate. And if you have failure, you feel like other people are celebrating your failures. It doesn't really create an environment where you're um, putting yourself in the best situation to succeed. And so it's quite sad and quite frustrating. And I think it also... Um, almost creates a conflicting environment where you, where you, I don't know, the the negativity kind of permeates and you sort of absorb that and start feeling that yourself, you know? Sure. And anything to add on that? I think that you can perform in that negative sort of environment for a short period of time. But when you're going to practice every day with the attitude of, competing to win against your teammates your cortisol levels are like spiked up every time you go to train and that's not sustainable in my opinion I think that you know if you want to be in this game for a long time which is what you need to be ultimately if you want to get the very best out of yourself it's not sustainable to be going and racing every single practice every single practice especially we train we practice upwards of three times a day seven days a week and realistically i don't think that you'd be able to do that for years at a time at least not have fun doing it i mean it's quite stressful right because like then if you're going and you're feeling like you have to win every single practice you're not able to even relax you know on your off days you're not able to relax because even when you're not training it's like it's just this you know circular situation of stress for yourself it's certainly not a performance enhancer no it's uh i mean it's certainly not a confidence enhancer either yeah it's probably no. uh, uh unless you become sort of the the sort of fake dominant person or whatever it might be but uh, and you know one of the things that we always talk about is the the high achievers in sport or in any component of life always have this vein of passion and, uh, and everything that you're explaining here, God, your body language is all down as well. You know, you've been talking <laughs> yeah, about I it. Know. It's like, it's deflating. And if, if passion is a prerequisite for greatness, which I think it is over the long term, how can you be passionate when it's, when you're just fighting every day? Yeah. And, uh, so 
you know, we, we deliberately started there with you guys because it's not a nice environment. And we're here today because we, we believe that it doesn't have to be this way and uh, in any walk of life. And so let, let's get to us a little bit. And we're going to start with Sarah, as you're the old curmudgeon of this crew, <laughs> uh, at, at least you're, you're not as much of an old curmudgeon as I am, but, uh, but you're the senior athlete. And so I want to go back and just singularly talk about you and just go back just 12 months from now, just sure. when, when actually Chelsea was, was joining the squad. Frame where you're at in your triathlon life at the end of last season, physically and emotionally, I guess. Yeah, I would say I was um, sort of a conflicted athlete in the sense that um, I still had some, still have some very big goals within the sport of triathlon. I still loved the sport of triathlon. I still loved what I was doing, but physically and mentally, I was just so fatigued and tired and burned out. And so even though the want was there pretty much all year last year, when I showed up at practice and when I showed up at races, I just felt like I was dragging myself through the entire season and honestly wasn't really enjoying the process of what I was doing. It really felt like a job more than, um, you know, a passion that was also my job. Sure. Um, so I was pretty, pretty tired, pretty unhappy and, um, not really sure what to do. Do, do, do you remember our conversation? <laughs> yeah, at the end I of do. Last year? <laughs> I do. Why don't you share sort of, uh, any, any observations that you remember? Yeah. I, um, I mean, I've always been an athlete who has asked for more. Uh, I really like the big volume and, um, I really just enjoy the process of training and training really hard and pushing my limits generally. And, uh, we were sitting in your kitchen and I just said, I'm, I'm tired and I, I'm burned out. And you said, A, you need to take a really big break. And B, you know, you're, I can see it. You didn't have the passion and the happiness and, you know, the excitement that you've had in past years. You just have been so serious this year, which I think was a product of me being unhappy. Um, but three, next year, you need to dramatically decrease your volume and you just need to refine the joy in the process. And, uh, yeah, that's it. I mean, because from, uh, really what I was saying there or what I felt as well was you are tired yeah. and, uh, and you're when, when someone is fatigued, but they are still very goal driven, they, uh, they end up taking it way more seriously. Yeah. And, uh, and of course it's, we're deadly serious, but yeah. there was no joy, no joy out of that. And it's okay to be serious, but you can still enjoy it. Yeah. And you didn't see that in your eyes, in your body language, no. certainly in your words and, uh, <laughs> and, and, or in your performances. Yeah. I think it was, uh, I mean, you still had a good year, but it was a hard year. It was I hard. think it was, you, you managed to clamber through some results, but it was, it was hard. Um, and Chelsea just to, when you, but you, you're in a very different place. Uh, although, not all just shiny. So go back to joining Purple Patch. Why didn't you let the listeners in sort of where you were, give or take about a year ago to this point, maybe maybe start in the summer of last year and then lead into where we really sort of started this process? Sure. So last summer I had just left my uh, former training group. And I think that probably – a week before I met with you, Matt, for the first time, I had essentially quit triathlon. <laughs> I think I quit triathlon for about a week or, a week, <laughs> a week or two. Mm. I was um, pretty low, actually. I was very anxious. I My confidence was completely crushed, and I didn't really know if I saw a future for myself in this sport. And yeah, that's, that was my state of mind the first time that we spoke, Matt, here in Noe Valley. When we had, went and had a coffee that's in right. uh, Noe Valley in San Francisco, which was not a coaching, uh, it, it was just a conversation. That's basically. right. We were thrown together as a conversation. That's right. You, you didn't seem very happy when we sat down for that coffee. No, I wasn't very happy. And I was deciding if I wanted to continue with ITU or if I wanted to move up to long course or if I just wanted to leave the sport altogether. And I remember telling you that I thought that I had a lot of potential and that I could be great at this one day maybe, but 
I didn't think that I was on a path to do that. And I didn't know the best way to accomplish my goals if I did decide to stay in the sport. And let's just fast forward several weeks then because we had a series of conversations that that began with just me trying to help you with perspective not not talking about coaching at all leading into well this seems like you're in san francisco i'm in san francisco let's let's give this a crack <clears throat> it all happened organically and then we started for a few weeks and then literally this week you were heading off to to hawaii to not to go and race but we had started the journey what was the shift? Because uh, I, I think there was a very different lens there. There was a, probably a, a tinge of excitement and anticipation, yeah? Yeah, I think that I trained with a squad here for three weeks, maybe when we first started working together. And then you suggested that I go to Sarah's training camp with her in Kona, her pre-World Championships training camp. And I had, prior to that, sworn off. I had been traveling kind of year round before we started working together and I was really over being away from home and I told my husband I'm not going to another training camp for at least another year mm-hmm. and of course like three weeks after I joined Purple Patch you were suggesting that I go to a 10-day training camp in Hawaii and I know it's not a very rough life but I did not want to go to training camp and you said no I think that this would be really great for you I think that you could learn a lot and you'd really benefit from you know, being around Sarah kind of full time as like an immersive experience. And I, uh, yeah, I bought into that. And I think it, I think it was a really incredible launching point for me and like one of the best decisions we could have made that early into this journey. Yeah, it it was a coaching, I mean, transparency, it was a coaching risk because you've got someone who's had a tough year uh, at that, up to that point, getting ready for the world championship. And asking permission to add a new athlete who um and we'll talk about your talent in, in a second but clearly talented uh, and put into an athlete that said i never want to go to a training camp again and, and saying <laughs> you should really go to a training camp again and three weeks in um and uh and i think it was a it was a catalyst for, for so much of what we're going to talk about now let, let's just pause here because uh, I want to go back to you guys meeting each other the first time and uh, some questions that I've never asked you before. But for context for you guys listening, we have Purple Patch Pros that are dotted around the globe. Uh, in San Francisco, we have Sarah Cometo, who's uh, stepped back from professional triathlon, now does amateur triathlon, uh, right decision, mother of two, very, very busy, heading off to the, her first Hawaii Ironman this, this very week. <laughs> And uh, and now suddenly we have this old curmudgeon, Sarah P, with an eager and bright-eyed newbie into the mix, Chelsea. And uh, my mindset at this time was, fasten your seatbelt. Let's see what happens here. Bringing back all of the potential of our stereotypes we started the show. So, Sarah, tell me, tell us about when you first met Chelsea or the first conversation with Chelsea. Yeah, so Matt asked me if I would um, hop on the phone with Chelsea and she was thinking about joining the the team and, um, you know, that she had been racing ITU and was, you know, what my read into it actually was that you didn't really want to be traveling anymore. You wanted to be closer to your husband and um, kind of was a little bit lost in your journey. And so we, which you just reiterated, but um, we hopped on the phone and, um, I had a great conversation with Chelsea. I mean, she was really interested in um, the opportunity for us to train together. But actually, one of the things that really stuck with me, which made me really like her, was that this was, I spoke to her the week before my wedding. And she said to me, she said, you know, when I got married, the day of my wedding, I went out and I did this really hard, really long track workout. And my recommendation to you is just don't do that and just enjoy the process. And it sounds silly, but it, it kind of, um, it reminded me of me because it's exactly the type of thing that I would do. You know, I feel like if I, I'm as always putting triathlon, you know, f- ahead of things. And um, I just kind of appreciate the fact that you had done that. And um, so we had, we had a really nice conversation and, and I was quite excited to have you on the team. And you know, one of the things I think it's worth everyone knowing here is that this is a common thing that we do is if, if an athlete reaches out and talks, I think it's really important for the athlete to find the right fit for them and for the current athletes to, 
understand whether the incoming athlete might be the right fit for the culture of, of us, Purple Patch. And so quite often we'll have pros talk to pros sort of thing. So little did you know that you were interviewing each other, but there you were. And um, I, I guess when did you start to really realize that Chelsea was in parentheses, at least had physical gifts, was quite talented? I think when we were in Hawaii for that initial training camp, um, you know, she was coming in, she had been for the most part on a pretty big break for a while. Um, and it was immediately obvious that she was quite a strong swimmer. Um, and you know, her run or her, her ride biking was strong, but needed to be developed. But I mean, we were out there doing some pretty big sessions and long intervals and she was, you know, able to hang through the whole camp, which I was really impressed with. And then of course on the run we were getting off and she was just incredibly fast and incredibly strong. So I think, you know, coming in after taking such a long break and really being able to show up every single day at that camp was a really impressive thing. And I think just spoke a lot to, um, her potential as an athlete. Now you're going to do some vulnerability. How did Mm -hmm. it make you feel? Because stereotypically that should be a threat. I think two things. I mean, I think inherently for me, whenever I see somebody who's really innately talented come in, whether it be onto our team or onto the sport, there's a little bit of jealousy there because I feel like I am not an athlete that has quite the same level of innate talent as somebody like Chelsea. Um, And so you always just sort of are a little bit envious of that. But at the same time, um, for me, I love having people around that are better than me. I think that, um, and women in particular, because I think that for me to get the most out of myself and for my teammates to get the most out of themselves, the best thing we can do is put ourselves in an environment where, um, we're leveraging each other's strengths and weaknesses. And so I, um, was very excited actually to have her on the team because I, on a very selfish level was thinking it was really going to help me, but also that, you know, there's a tremendous opportunity to help her too. The, uh, I'm going to tell you something about you that you might not even realize maybe you will, but you know, one thing that you hate, you hate a start list. That's a weak list. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) You go and hunt the big races. Yeah, I do. And, uh, yeah, that, that, that's a testament to it. You want to go and race. I do. And I also, you know, I, I think for me when, when I race, I, I don't want to win in a weak field. I want to win racing against women that are going to really challenge me. It's quite satisfying. And I think it makes it exciting from a race perspective. So, How about you, Chelsea? You're meeting Sarah for the first time, chatting to her. What were your reactions? I guess, were you nervous coming into the squad and being lumped with Sarah? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> the ginger ninja, no less. Right. <laughs> so the first phone conversation that I had with Sarah was her wedding week. And I think that her just taking my phone call in the first place is kind of a testament to how much she cares about Pearl Patch and our squad. But I remember asking, we were talking about the squad and UMAD and kind of how the whole thing works. And at the end of the conversation, I said, so Sarah, if I were to join the squad, how often would you envision us actually training together? And she said, Chelsea, we can train together as much as you like. And that was really kind of the final selling point for me. I I don't really care to train by myself, to be perfectly honest. I like to be around other people, and I like to be around people who are better than me. And that was, you know, such an incredible opportunity to train with a seasoned athlete and an ac- such an accomplished athlete like Sarah. But... You know, the first time I came to practice with Sarah, it was an early swim at the JCC. And Sarah is quite intense. (laughs) And I think, and it was 5.30 in the morning. So I think, you know, when I first met her, she kind of like grunted at me. (laughs) (laughs) And we did our swim. And then after the swim, she said, well, do you want to run together later? Like I have a run this afternoon. And I said, sure, yeah, I'd love to run together. And... We met at this trail that Sarah had never been to, yeah. and we went on a six-mile run, and I think by the end of the run, like we knew each other's life story, and we were already kind of friends. So it was a, yeah, it was a fast friendship. 
That's awesome. Well, they, um, when, uh, Sarah, you, you sort of, what was your, I mean, it seems like your approach was just very open. Yeah. When you, uh, when you approached and, uh, when, when you joined, was there any sort of active decision and approach of this new athlete coming on board? Did you have any deliberate mindset or approach when you, uh, when you had her join? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I've been part of Purple Patch for a long time. So I'm literally like age wise, I'm an older athlete, but also just in terms of the Purple Patch community, I'm an older <clears throat> longstanding member of, of the team. And I feel like how you respond to new athletes coming in really sets the stage and sets an example for other people welcoming and accepting the athletes too. And, um, you know, I really, I mean, I was, I personally was very excited, but I also was deliberately like wanting to be incredibly inclusive of, um, Chelsea coming in because I feel like that is what sets the standard for her just being assimilated into the team very quickly. Mm -hmm. So, um, but it was also a very natural thing. Like it wasn't something that was, you know, inauthentic in any way. I mean, as Chelsea said, we like went out for this one run and we were, we just chit chatted the whole time. And so it was just very easy. And I think after that first run, I became even more excited about having her on the, on the team because it was very obvious that we were going to probably fit really well together. But you've replicated that behavior. I mean, a year ago, you Megan, who's a, an amateur athlete that mm -hmm. joined us that, that comes from a running background. And yeah, for people listening, you, you basically replicate that behavior of taking her very young athlete under your wing, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, I mean, as you said, I'm, I'm coming towards the ending years of my career. And at this point, it's really about cultivating a culture within the purple patch community and within the elite athletes to set an example for, you know, what is going to be going forward. And somebody like Megan, who's very young and has hopes and dreams of becoming pro, you know, she has so much to learn in terms of what the expectations and standards are and, um, how you behave as a professional and, um, how you show up to practice every day and, you know, to, for her to be able to be around and experience all that, um, and be surrounded by some really high level athletes, I think is just a wonderful, um, opportunity for her and, um, and a learning experience. And I, and I'm happy to share that with her because she's really the future of the sport. Well, it's also, it's a gift to add, hopefully, I mean, that was you. Not it so was me. Ago, yeah, it in, was. In many and, ways. and, you know, when you're young and you're coming into the sport and you have these big hopes and dreams, it's like, there's just so much to learn. You don't even know how much you have to learn until you're older and you realize how much you have, you know, how far you've come. And, um, I think that if you can have somebody that is open and willing to guide you and, you know, Megan actually, as an example, she also, I mean, she ran at UC Berkeley. She was, has a wonderful running background. She's really strong. And it's just been awesome to have her along for some of my running workouts. Cause she's completely pushed me, you know, to, mm -hmm. to get the most out of myself in in some of my sessions. And, um, I really, and we swim in the same lane together, you know, and she's younger, she's amateur, but I get a lot of value out of her. Well, the, um, uh, the, my, my favorite story of Megan, she, she was brand new to the sport, but obviously an accomplished athlete in a different sport running the same as Chelsea. The level of this isn't just words. My, my favorite story of Megan is her first <laughs> Olympic distance race where she was racing in a lovely race suit with Pian Piano written on the butt. <laughs> and uh, lots of, I didn't realize Sarah was racing on a road bike in a tri in a tri troll, uh, in a triathlon uh, yeah. up in uh, Santa Rosa or somewhere. So uh, it, it goes well beyond words. But, you know, in many ways, just sticking with you, Sarah, that you, by, by eliciting that behavior, by taking on that, you defect to become a mentor and you are forced to lead. That, that's ultimately what happens. And, and I'm interested, you come out, the reason we started this conversation is you came out of 2018 tired, mm -hmm. uh, not having fun. So in getting pushed into a mentorship role in many ways, both with Chelsea and, uh, and obviously an even greater extent Megan in many ways, what did you think the, 
what did it do for you? What was the outcome for you? And, and what has it done for your perspective of your sport over this year? Well, you know, I grew up with a mother who was just such, she's a feminist and she always grew up telling me to, that women were so capable. And so my whole life I've been, I've been um, really accepting of surrounding myself with other strong women and loving that. And I think that when you then are gifted the opportunity to train with other women who also believe the same thing and embrace that mentality, it's like, it's just such an opportunity. And so when Chelsea joined the team and when Megan joined the team and also with Sarah, who's been on the team for quite a while and she's very much that way, um, it, it can help you kind of come out of the, your own hole and refine the joy in the process that you may have been missing. And so to have these women join and I mean, they've brought, they've literally brought me out of that hole and back to a place where um, I'm enjoying the process again and, and thriving and actually racing better than I ever have. And I really attribute that to the environment that I'm in. And we're going to get into your racing. Uh, let, let's bring Chelsea back in. She just took a nap while we uh, chatted. <laughs> so um, what, what about you, your initial months? What, what was your experience? So when I joined Purple Patch, it was essentially in the meat and potatoes of Sarah's Kona, Kona buildup. And I was sort of thrown into her training and kind of immersed in her program. And I think that a lot of athletes could feel like they needed a more individualized program or like, why isn't this training plan just built specifically for me? Why am I doing someone else's training? But I saw the opportunity to train with Sarah and to kind of follow her around for a couple of months as such a gift. And... I got to watch this world-class athlete get ready for the biggest race in our sport. And I got to be a part of her process and I got to see how professional she is and all of the daily habits that she has that make her as good as she is. And, and I also think that kind of getting away from my own results and, you know, being so obsessive about my own training really and, and kind of supporting her really freed me up just to have fun. And not surprisingly, I got really fit really quickly by tagging along with Sarah. And I'll tell you a little bit of, of a story about our time in Kona. When I went to a training camp, we did this really hard session uh, in town. There were these like seven or eight minute intervals and we started out pretty strong, and by the last one, we were supposed to go all out. And the grading of this hill really suited me because I was coming from ITU, and it was kind of punchy at the end, and I just got to sit on Sarah's wheel, and I attacked her over the crest of the hill, and I beat her on the interval. And she could have been really pissed about that because I sat in her wheel for the entire session, and then I passed her at the end of the last interval. Oh, I would have been pissed. <laughs> <laughs> but instead, Sarah came up to me and she was so excited because she had just hit her best seven minute power of her life. And she was elated for the rest of the day. And I don't know if I would have been that happy if I had gotten beat in a training session. But I think that that speaks so much to the kind of athlete and person that she is that she could celebrate someone else's performance like that and also just be so excited about what she was able to do because she was training with someone else. Yeah, no, that's it, and brought the best out of each other. I mean, gosh, she's finished the podcast there, shouldn't we? That was <laughs> the a end lot of, the of love show. going around. I know, it's a little bit much. Let's talk about this year. I think it's, I think it's amazing. I mean, you've, you've got a big... You've had a career year, I think it's uh, by any measure, mm -hmm. and um, you've had some 
performances. Obviously, Brazil was just one when when you finish that race, which is we both sort of looked at each other and said that was special. <laughs> yeah. that was, uh, I was about ready to retire after that yeah, one. You didn't, you was like, right, let's, uh, put that one in the pocket and <laughs> yeah. enjoy it. But and you got a big race, big race this this coming weekend yeah. or next weekend, ten days time. And I mean, we know that you can go there with with great happiness on the season so far with a whole bunch of freedom and just go and give it a good crack which is a wonderful place to go but i'd love your perspective your, your sort of perspective on the key catalysts that have allowed this shift from you from the tiredness so this can't all just be about chelsea but the tiredness to 253 in your marathon in brazil and and uh, and obviously just the consistency that you've had, the newfound bike legs that you have. What do you what do you attribute it to? Um, I mean, I think I think a couple things. You know, as we talked about a little bit earlier when we sat down at the end of the year last year and um, talked about how tired I was, you really encouraged me to take a big break. And by a big break, it wasn't taking a month off. It was like four months, maybe a month totally off, but four months of really reduced training where the pressure was off. There wasn't any rush to, for me to get really fit. And that just allowed my body the time to really rest in the way that it needed to. And it wasn't that I wasn't training. I mean, I had sessions, yeah. but, um, it was, it, it was really the rest that I needed. But I think also with that, um, I just shifted my mindset a little bit. I didn't try to overcomplicate things. I think in the past I've, you know, I'm always searching for that edge and I think I have a tendency to overcomplicate things. And this year I just kind of removed all of those complications and um, brought things back to a really simple process. And um, I think the thing for me is a big shift in mindset where um I just wanted to race for myself. I wasn't racing for you, Matt. I'm not racing for my sponsors. I mean, I know that I represent them. And of course, yeah. like I love being able to represent the Purple Patch brand, but I came back to racing for me, which is the whole reason we started doing this. I just started doing the sport in the first place. And so it allowed me to kind of refine the passion and the joy and what I was doing. One, one of the things uh, that I'll add from a sort of coaching standpoint is, and you mentioned this earlier, coming back, and not just repeating the process again and mm -hmm. uh, and being much more deliberate, having bigger, big days. I mean, you've had some pretty big nasty days. training sessions. Yeah. At the same time, bigger recovery mm -hmm. and more spacing of, uh, of time. Uh, I think that break was critical. And what we're talking about in a break here, which is massive for a, for a professional athlete, is going down to probably less than a third of regular training. Um, yeah. A few weeks of just... It, you know, typically we say don't take much time completely off with you. We, we, you genuinely had a month off, but that was after 10 years in the sport type mm -hmm. thing. You needed that. And then for the next three months or so, really, really uh, minimal training, 10 hours a week, which for a professional athlete is less. In fact, I wondered if I'd overdone it when you showed up to the pro camp. Uh, goodness me, I, I almost got you an e-bike. Um, I did have to get in the car one day. You got in the car one day. I've never seen that happen before. But, um, but I think what, what you started to get this year out of that was performance predictability. And having the, the re removal of the residual fatigue enabled us to have control when you were asked to go hard and get associated output. And I think one thing that was a clear sign last year with fatigue is we could ask you to go hard and it was potluck whether mm -hmm. the legs were there. And I think that's a clear sign. That's a really important note for coaches to be aware of and also for athletes. The randomness was taken out. The predictability yeah. was there. And, and that has enabled us to obviously show up to races with predictability if you're having legs. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think Chelsea's, I mean, you, you sort of echoed this already in many ways, but just come back to it. Where, where did Chelsea come into the above of what you talked about there? I think in so many ways. Um, you know, I think actually probably for the first time ever have really allowed myself to be 
even though I love training with women, I also have never really allowed myself um, to be truly vulnerable with an, another teammate. And I think I've really allowed myself to share that vulnerability with Chelsea this year. And with that has just come this wonderful connection and partnership in our training that, um, you know, if one of us is down one day, the other person shows up for them. And, you know, it's, we're just able to push ourselves and get the most out of ourselves in this really, um, and also just, I guess, create an accountability and set of expectations for performance, but also with this like compassion and sensitivity. And I think it's, she's just really been able to help me navigate the down and come out of it and refine the passion for, for the sport and love training with somebody and love pushing myself again and seeing what's possible. And I really attribute that to all of the training sessions we've done together and the time we spent together and also the relationship we have. And, and Chelsea, I mean, you, you had downs. I mean, you had, you've had quite a year. We talked about it with the three seventy point three wins, the fourth obviously in Nice at the world championships. But you know, what, what, what doesn't come out in there is the fact that from about November till, in fact, we, we can partially blame Sarah's training program on that, <laughs> but uh, from November until May, you, you carried an injury, uh, an injury that was always going to happen, probably a relic of, um, of really sort of arriving with very specific muscle weaknesses, which that injury have, have enabled us to correct and, and make you more resilient. But I guess, uh, how did that, Tell us about the mindset of that, a long-term injury where you have a four or five-month injury, and then I'd love to dig into the, the relationship with Sarah impacting that journey at all. Yeah, despite some of the recent success that we've had, this has not been an easy year, and it is not the year that I had planned for and expected, especially coming off you know, my first win at Indian Wells at the end of last year. So I had some like pretty low moments and I I was just telling Sarah the other day, I was like, I'm actually a little sad because I feel like I missed a lot of your training this year and I didn't get to share, you know, as much of your Ironman Brazil buildup as I wanted to because our schedules just didn't align at some parts of the season when I was, when I was injured. But I think that, you know, Sarah really provided quite a bit of accountability to me when I was injured. She showed up for me on a number of occasions when she didn't have to for my like second swim sessions. And she would, I don't know if you know this, Matt, sorry, Sarah, but she would sometimes come to my second swims and put on her fins and paddles. So she, she this, is, uh, this is all news right now. Such a Sarah secret training. It's, uh, it didn't happen a lot of times, but a couple of times. <laughs> you, you over there, redhead, get on my calendar. We've got a conversation this afternoon. Actually, right after Hawaii, we've got a conversation. 2020 planning, uh-huh. no secret training sessions. Oh, I'm so used to this. Well, I, I will just years. say, I mean, I think we both held each other accountable. There was, I remember a time when, you know, I obviously had a pretty rough start to my year, and Chelsea was, had a rough start to her year, and we were out there one day, and we had some intervals and I think sometimes as athletes, you reach this point where when things are not going well, you almost like fear the hard sessions because if you fail them, it's just like another knock on your confidence. And, um, you know, we, we all talk about, we all probably seem like we're confident and we just, you know, run through all the sessions and it's no problem and we nail them. But a lot of times it's not that way. And particularly if you're injured or you're, you know, just building fitness or whatever, you have a lot of failed sessions. And I remember being out there one day and we were chatting and I just said, Chelsea, we just have to put your head down. You have to do the work and you can't fear the pain. And I think that kind of became our motto for a period of time. Don't fear the pain because I think when you're really down and out and so something like that, I think that's where it really speaks to the power of having a team and being surrounded by people who can hold you accountable and help you get the work done and really power through those really tough times. Because I think without either one of us being there for the other, it could have very easily spiraled in another direction. The the other part of it is that you probably the, you know, 
it's only you guys that can understand and someone else in a different environment that isn't going through the suffering is it's going to be all right it's like you don't get it <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so yeah. you don't understand but yeah. versus this shared suffering can be obviously incredibly empowering as you go through yeah. i, I want to go to co- uh, to the culture globally and we, we dug in to your individual sort of experiences and benefits but let's take a step back something and i want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier around leadership and uh, and the the global culture do you think that your your guys collaboration could have existed in a vacuum or, or what what do you attribute to the global culture that we exist in as a team i mean i think matt you've done a really good job of um creating amongst the pros an environment that um, like you try to choose athletes where you think that the um, dynamic within the group, even though we are scattered all over the world, but when we get together, it can be a really collaborative and productive and positive environment and not one where there's infighting and negative, you know, competition and things like that. And so, you know, that I think that speaks to what Chelsea was saying in terms of that, starting with you um, and, and the culture you want to create. But I think it also um, goes down to what we see at the amateur level too. I mean, we swim multiple times a week with uh, a squad that is largely composed of amateurs. And, um, you know, I think just creating that environment where we're all there, we're all together and we know who's racing when and supporting one another and announcing people's race results. It, um, I think creates a culture that, um, of positivity and also celebrating the victories of one another, not just the pros, but everybody. Of individual performance. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Chung today that finished Western States. Yeah, which is Who amazing. Who would have known? Yeah, amazing. Who yeah. would have known? How about you, Chelsea? And the, you come from a very, you came from various different cultures that were very different. Just uh, a closed shop of professional sport, and suddenly now you're thrown in with uh, with Angus and company. So. Uh, <laughs> Uh, where's the culture and the community been as a part of you? You know, I love being in a daily training environment with professionals and having, you know, you at all of our sessions. I love the intensity of that. But I also know that that brings out this, like, intensity and competitiveness in me that I really enjoy and I think, like, can take my performances to another level. But I don't think that that is always the best place for me to be every day of every week, you know, the whole year. I think that it's probably better for me to be in that environment kind of like a few times when I really need, you know, to get ready for a big race or something. But I kind of bought into this um, this culture that we have here at Purple Patch very quickly, I think, and that, you know, is that we're trying to reach our human potential through, you know, sports. And that's applicable to everyone in Purple Patch, not just to me and Sarah. And that individual performance is what we celebrate, that, you know, search for improvement and getting better. And I think when you focus on that, that creates an environment where everyone can thrive. It's not just about, you know, like... Outcomes. Outcome and me winning the race last weekend, it's about us all getting better and everyone can get better in that environment. It's not about who's winning. I think that's the cool thing too, actually, is I think about it often when you show up at swim practice or whatever. I mean, we do race professionally, but I love the fact that I, you know, I get my butt kicked regularly by a lot of age group athletes. Yeah. Um, and that's really cool. Yeah. I I think there's another thing that happens with this uh, because there are arguments that you should be inoculated from the real world and live in this performance bubble. But I think you start to lose context of life and and the appreciation of where sport fits in life. And and I think it can really quickly diffuse enjoyment because it's this, it's this sort of vacuum that you exist in and you, you guys do not get that option. Because you come on pool day, you got people that are in fact doing incredible things, which is, yeah, you guys finish the session and can wander off. These guys have to rush to work, mm-hmm. rush back to their families. They're fitting it in in a time-starved life. 
and they're still looking to improve and, and they're high performers in other aspects of their life. Some of them are not high performers in sport. <laughs> yeah. I have to have retina surgery sometimes, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> but that, I think that's the key thing that I think is, is so, so, so important, you know, mm -hmm. as we go through. Mm -hmm. So we're going to fast forward with that context, uh, to your, your last challenges. We're going to go to, uh, to defining your lens. This is the last, uh, last challenge of this show. And so I'm going to find out who wants to go first. You've spent a lot of time with each other. You've seen frustrations and challenges over the course of 2019. You have a shared excitement. You've supported each other. Who shall I have go first? Let's, um, let's throw little poo. Let's throw uh, the newbie under the bus. Let's, uh, let's have Chelsea go first. So Chelsea, this is my challenge to you. You've got two challenges, both of you guys pretty quick to finish the show. The first, Sarah Piampiano as an athlete. I want you to give me three words that describe Sarah. Three words. Ginger, wow. redhead, moody. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Gosh. Um, the three words that come to mind when I think about Sarah are honest. Sarah is brutally honest. <laughs> she will tell you what she thinks, whether you want to hear it or not, whenever she wants to tell you. <laughs> She's incredibly courageous, and um, she is one of the most relentless people that I've met. Ah, I had my fourth word, which was uh, relentless, but you said it. So, uh, Sarah, if that was uh, on your tombstone, honest, courageous, and relentless, would you take that? Yep. <laughs> I, think, I think she's she's pretty spot on. <laughs> uh, so uh, now you've got to redo the favor in many ways, but you can be brutally honest, so <laughs> <laughs> disappointing, moody, and careless. <laughs> what are your three words for Chelsea? Um, my first one is fierce. I think that um, one of the things I love when – either we're training hard or even just recently seeing Chelsea in competition is when she puts that game face on, she is fierce, you know, and, and I love that about her. Um, and on the flip side, she's also very kind hearted and sensitive. I think, um, you know, she really is quite, quite thoughtful and considerate of, of the people around her and, um, and then fully dedicated to the process, which I know is not one word, but, I don't think that I've actually ever seen anybody as dedicated to the process as Chelsea. I mean, to see her every single day in the gym when she was injured, doing every single one of the exercises that she was asked to do um, to get better. I mean, she's this girl is just she's totally dedicated. Um, so it's really inspiring. What was uh, what was the thing on the pro camp that you managed to infuse into the culture core? Core club. Core club. Core club. Core club. Core club <laughs> every day. That was a collaborative effort. That was a collaborative and, effort. Yeah. You were the one that was we'll most vocal for it. sure. So we've got one more for you, which is, uh, and, and I'm going to be really nice to you guys. I'm going to give you an option to do here. So I, I want, now we're going to have Sarah go first here. You get to tell one story. So one story, <laughs> you got a choice here. You can either tell me a story of when sometime this season you had to turn around and, and give us a little bit of your brutal honesty as uh as Chelsea said, and you had to uh, tell Chelsea to get her head out of her behind, or just a funny story that made you smile this year working with Chelsea. I'll tell you a story about when she had to get her head out of her behind. <laughs> um, <laughs> Brutally honest, there it comes. So we were out for a ride one day, and um, we had hell repeat. It was an extremely tough session, like one of the sessions where you kind of want to throw up at some point during, during it. And I think a lot of people probably go through the, um, the nerves beforehand before a big session and you get on your bike and you're kind of wondering how you feel or whatever. And we're riding up the hill and Chelsea turns to me. We haven't started the session yet. We're just warming up. And she says, I'm, I'm really not feeling well today. Do you think I should call Matt and ask him if I should do the session? <laughs> and I looked at Chelsea and I said, no, I said, if you go to and do that hill repeat and you can't hold 200 watts, 
then you can stop the session. But if you can hold over 200 watts, which by the way, isn't that good, but I was like, if you can hold over 200 watts, you're going to do that session and you're going to finish it. <laughs> she just closed her mouth. Nothing like we a bit of positivity. The, we went and did the session and I don't think that it was either one of our best days, but I will tell you, we pushed each other so hard. It wasn't bad. We got a lot out of the session and actually you got off the bike and you had the fastest run that you had done since you'd come back from injury. So you had a really successful day. And I think those are the days that you always remember. Yeah. You need that. So. How about you, Chelsea? <laughs> you, this is your chance. Spared you're you're going to have call. the last <laughs> words here outside of my stories that I've got about you two. This is a little bit of an overwhelming question because <laughs> I will say like, you can have a very productive female training relationship and you don't have to be like good friends. It can still be positive. Yeah. But in this scenario, Sarah and I train together about seven days a week on average. And so there are a lot of stories, but one of my favorites, um, I had a bout of flat tires a few months back and I hadn't had a flat in about six months and all of a sudden I got like four flats in a row. Every time we would go out, I would get a flat. And the moral is that I probably need to change my tires. But Sarah is really patient the first few days. You know, she like helps me change the flat the first couple times. And by the third time I got a flat tire, she was like starting to get pretty irritated. And I go to like take off my wheel and I realize I'm on my road bike and I don't have quick release wheels. And I go, oh no, I forgot my Allen key. I can't even get my wheel off. And we're about an hour drive from my house. I'm like, I guess I'm going to have to call Steve and have him come pick, up, pick me up because that's going to be a $75 Uber. And Sarah gets on her soapbox. <laughs> she goes, you should be ashamed that you're calling your husband to come pick you up. He's going to be wasting his entire day. I can't believe that you don't have an Allen key. That is so unprofessional. You should always have an Allen key with you when you're riding. And I go, you're so right, Sarah. Could I borrow your Allen key? And she goes, I don't have my Allen key. <laughs> and I thought of this story because just yesterday... We were out for a ride. We were about to start our ride, and Sarah realizes that her DI2 cable had come unplugged and she didn't have an Allen key again. And so she called her husband to come bring her the Allen key. And they take apart the front end of her bike to plug in the cable. And she opens it, and it's already plugged in. And she realized that she simply hadn't attached the cable mm-hmm. in the back the of her derailleur. <laughs> You know, Mike you were nice that Mike, Sarah's husband, that was a part of his prenup uh, contract. <laughs> He's always available. Bike maintenance. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit like your whereabouts, your guys' whereabouts. Yeah. He has to do a whereabouts feel, uh, form for Sarah when she's training. Always be available to to be there. Um, by the way, you're, uh, I'll let the, the listeners hear you. Come, my, my final thing, just coming back to you being fierce, Chelsea, is... Uh, you should check out Chelsea's race pictures. Very, very rare that she's smiling. Uh, by the way, what was up with the Augusta one with this, the shifted visor? That was a purple patch visor on sideways. But uh, at Santa Rosa, you had this, this wonderful, wonderful race, and it was a comeback. You didn't know what to anticipate. You had a, a sort of tape-to-tape great performance, and you crossed the line. You won it handily, and... Uh, Kelly, my wife, and Baxter were watching you cross the line. I said, Baxter, you're going to see Chelsea, purple patch. I think you know Chelsea's going to win. She came across, and Baxter said to me, is she happy? (laughs) (laughs) I I, I said, duck, she might spit at you. I said, that's that's Chelsea happy right there. (laughs) And then it's over, and the smile comes. And the smile comes back. She's she's got her game face on. There is a game face like no other, isn't there? There is a game face like no other. Guys, teamwork, collaboration, the collective, the messages today. Thank you so much. And And women uh, can work together very successfully. It's, uh, it is the truth. It is the, uh, the empowering part of it all. And one final word, Sarah, next weekend, 
the Hawaii Iron Man. Which number is, of this is uh, is you? How many times have you done? I think this is my seventh time. Seventh time. The uh, lucky number one seven. One final Lucky sevens. What more That's can right. we ask? And I um, hope it goes well. My final coaching words for you. <laughs> Don't fuck it up. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> you won't. That's brutally honest. All right. Great stuff, guys. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thanks. Take care, guys. Thanks, Thanks. for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. If you like what you hear, we'd really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate and review the show. The Apple Podcast link is in the show notes. Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Cheers!